We're Not Dead, a podcast about a story of survival. Bang, 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 bang. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of We're Not Dead, the official community podcast of We're Alive. I am your host this week, Nick Voodoo, and I'm joined by It's All Goody from the forum. Goody, what's happening, man? I'm back! And better than ever! Better than uh, ever! Indeed. Um, so, I'm not sure what happened with the, uh, last week's podcast. Um, I, I was not scheduled to be on it because I had just a whole cluster of things that were going on. Um... So we're we're going to cover both episodes cuz yeah. a lot of shit happened. We're going to power right through it. It's going to be fantastic, Nick. Absolutely. Um so yeah, we're going to cover both episodes today. Um because again, a lot happened. We have to catch you up. We want to talk about it and you want to hear about it. I hope because otherwise you are listening to the wrong podcast. Probably unsubscribe now if that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, and uh once again, like I said, Brit's not here, so if you don't like hearing my voice, thank you for downloading you may now turn off the podcast. Yeah, Britt's got that shrill voice anyway. Wait, this is better. E, uh, I, uh, Britt, I did not. <laughs> I, no, nothing. I did not endorse that. I didn't prompt it. <laughs> That's all goody. You know, I've got to say something to get me not back on the show ever again. That is a very good way to start, is making <laughs> fun of the host. Um, so, yeah, we we have a lot to cover. We're going to jump right into it. We're not going to do our normal little uh, how you been, what you been doing, banter. Let's just go. Specialist Anthony Robbins, 2nd Battalion, 135th A Company, Wolfpack, Colorado Army National Guard. Date of incident, December 4th, 0600. So we're going into 33-2, and we meet a bunch of new characters. We also witness a helo ride with Anthony Robbins on December the 4th. They're looking for the Chinook, and they came from Boulder. Robbins and his Blackhawk head out. Robbins is uh, the door gunner. He's joined by four other soldiers, some medical, one super special private named Carl. Aw, Carl. Hey, Carl. Carl Thomas. Oh, uh, Anthony Robbins. Tony Robbins? Like the self-help guy? No, not him. What, do I look like him? Yay, Carl. En route, we are treated to a silly conversation among the crew. Uh, before they get really into it, they check out a tree line that Robin wants uh, investigated. Uh, hey, uh, check out the tree line on the right. They see nothing and they go back to the flight path. They tell Carl that zombies can freeze to death when they're looking through pictures. The reason that he was showing the pictures is because Carl wasn't sure that anyone could survive out there in the zombies. We were also treated to some adult friend finder jokes. About four pictures back. Uh, ignore the other ones. Yeah, those are for adult friend finder. Um, and once we hit the penis jokes, the Black Hawk finds the Chinook. I, I I liked that. I thought that that was oh, that a little was risque on great. Casey's part. I liked it. It was great, and it goes back to that like locker room mentality that uh, we spoke about a couple episodes ago, where people were sort of upset, I guess, with the way that um, Saul and and uh, Victor talked with each other when they were playing soccer and whatever. In the right, you know, the puts on the ring and becomes, you know, a, a heinous bitch or whatever. That sort of stuff. Um, you know, it's again, it's the locker room mentality. And it was busting balls. And, you know, they're making fun of Robbins being fat. Oh, you know, my gas gauge is really low. Robbins, have you lost, have you gained some weight again? We seem to be running lower than normal on fuel, Robbins. What's going on? Have a little too much rations back at base? No, I just thought I'd get lonely, so I stowed your mom in our cargo bay. And then he's talking about, like, no, I just put your mom in the back. And it's, it's yeah. great. I like the witty banter back and forth. 
Well, I'm not going to call your mom joke as witty banter, but, you know, you take what you get. I also just love the fact that, you know, we spent 35 seconds on adult friend finder jokes. Right. Because <laughs> that, that's just hilarious. Um, so they find the Chinook relatively intact. They get uh, movement, and they move closer in. Robbins notices something is wrong and IDs the survivors on the ground as zombies. If you can... No! Uh, Robbins proceeds to liquefy two of them on the ground. They set the Blackhawk down. Uh, once on the ground, the soldiers move to the Chinook. They're counting the bodies and realize one is missing. They go around securing the site. Captain Long is being bagged up. Robbins isn't happy about that because he doesn't want in the, his helicopter. Carl has Robbins investigate the side of the Chinook, uh, which ha- it looks like it's been ripped open from the outside. They figure that something potentially grabbed on and climbed up to uh, the side to attack it. They find footprints and head into the forest, because that always goes well. They find a second set of footprints. Upon discovering blood and the missing restraints, Robin tells them to get back to the helicopter. They find one. They find the missing one that they couldn't find before in the trees, and then proceeds to unleash hell, killing one immediately and killing another one in the fracas. The inkling slash advanced little one, we'll get into that later, um, starts dodging in and out of trees and attacking. The Blackhawk takes off, leaving some men on the ground. Robin shreds the attacker. Carl sets out and uh, finishes that attacker off. They hover over that body and find a black tattoo on her arm. Oh, black number. Black number. What? What the fuck does that mean? Who the hell gave you a sat phone? Three tango set on a wire. The Roman pillar fell in the fish. Haha, that's a good one. We got a black number near Boulder. What? Carl immediately calls Irwin. Puck answers, and Michael is immediately on the line. Give me that. What's it look like? We hear a hell in the distance, and they check the man who called and said he might be okay. But the soldier named Jack turns and is killed by Robbins. The other soldiers that uh, killed or turn, uh, turn and are killed, the third one refuses to die. They discover the skin of that one is already turning into a protective shell. Michael asks to be filled in. We switch to Irwin. Kimmet arrives and brings and asks uh, them Carl to bring uh, Captain Long's body back. Michael tries to convince Kimmet to also bring back the Inkling. My order stands here and in Boulder. Do you understand? Burn it. Kimmet insists that the body is to be burned. Michael asks for the body count. Carl says there's still one missing because they realize that there is still there was an extra person that came along for the ride, so there's still a person missing. Kimmet basically tells Michael to get bent about getting that body back. And he leaves. Michael tells Carl to bring the body back of number two anyway. Well, fuck him. Bag number two. We need to know what we're dealing with. Okay, kids. Now it's time for the next chapter of our story. Yay! Yay! Now, if you're really good, you can get cookies after. Um, By the way, wasn't it really awesome and nice to hear the old school... Intro music, yeah, because we, we've had that like twink, we've had that like twinkly piano version of it, which is you know ominous and dark, but like the twinkly piano version. But we got the ever classic, you know, like the lead in music to "We're Not Dead," with us, you know, shooting guns over top of it. You know, it's that old music that is just awesome and iconic in my head. Like when I hear that, it's like, ooh, yay! It's "We're Alive." Yeah. So it was it was really cool to hear that again. Sorry, sidetrack. Um. So 11 days later, we're now at Irwin. Uh, 
Michael narrates how Carl smuggled number two with Captain Long uh, in Captain Long's crate. Riley's at the weed in scrubs along with Michael. Riley's being pissy about not being included in anything. Ever. Ever. I'm still pissed you didn't tell me about anyone going to L.A. You know I would have gone. I think it's a good thing she's still on her anger meds, which was something that I got wrong in the last episode. I figured it was something for her alcoholism. It's Hey, don't shit talk Riley. She's, she's just a raging bitch, I guess, and she needs medication. Riley's my uh, my favorite character. She's she's gonna. This is well. I don't want to spoil the upcoming uh, rest of the story here, but after the ending, I have a feeling she's going to play a crucial role, crucial role in the next couple of uh, chapters. I agree with you. I just happen to agree. Yeah, I, I have my own theory that I've already thrown out there, and that she's the one that kills Scratch. Um, so I guess she'll fall off her medication then. Um, Riley wants just wants to be included. Um, Riley insists that Michael can't keep his secrets and that she needs to be included, and she's interested to see the inkling. Carl arrives as Michael thanks her for helping. Puck isn't happy to see Riley, as per usual. Michael says Puck and Carl need to, uh, go to the Captain Long's service. Carl says, uh, he doesn't because Kimmet won't miss him. And in fact, he probably doesn't even know who he is. He elects to stay behind and cover the desk and act as an early warning system for Riley and Tanya, who is going to be performing an autopsy. They break open the crate, and there are a few moments of indecision as to which bag contains which body. Carl knows that Long was lighter. Puck wants to double-check to make sure they don't screw it up and give and give the wrong one to Tanya. And like the dude that finds Tupperware in the back of the fridge after God only knows how long it's been there, Michael opens the bag and immediately gets assaulted by a terrible smell, as does everyone else. <coughs> oh, God. Oh. <coughs> yep, that's not Captain Long. Get it on the gurney. Michael and Puck leave. Riley wheels the body to where Tanya is, but runs into Kimmet after Carl tries to stop him. He asks her what the fuck she's doing, basically. He demands that she ta- he she takes long body to the service. Riley says that she's taking her to have her cleaned up. Kimmet doesn't understand why it's a closed casket. And true to form, uh, and Carl's prediction, Kimmet doesn't know who he is and calls him not by his name. He leaves. Tanya gets the body. Uh, and she was shitting a brick because she almost left the room to see where they were and would have run into Kimmet. So instead of a blow-by-blow of the autopsy, basically, here's what we learned about number two. Tanya explains that for all intents and purposes, number two is just like them. Uh, this one was six feet tall, had stretch marks and lack of skin pigment, which she wasn't sure if it was because it was dead or if it was like that before. Uh, extremely muscular to the point that age and general maturity was impossible to tell. Um, also complicated by the fact that number two has no body hair except for six-inch strands of matted brown hair on top of her head. She is definitely a she, though. I would hope so. You could still figure that out. That's pretty straightforward from my understanding. Yeah. Well, not not always. There there are some exceptions to that rule. <laughs> <laughs> it usually involves surgery and or a lot of hormones. Um, there are very few teeth in her mouth, and what teeth are there are easily removed, having no real root structure. A few that are growing in. Hand me those pliers. That was easy. Tanya wonders if there are hidden rows um, in the jaw, sort of, uh, sec- oh, what was it, sequent, uh, whatever. J- jaws like uh, like a jaw of a shark. Serial tooth replacement. Yeah, when they replace- grow back reasonably quickly. Right, and they re- they constantly replace. So they break off and you have another one right behind it. Um, the obvious things, she observes the fingernails, she observes the tattoo, she observes the uh, tough skin, noticing there are no exit wounds from the bullets that were shot into it. Um... And she has difficulty cutting into the skin. 
Strangely, the eyes are unlike normal biters and are basically normal. Uh, when she enters the chest cavity, she notices how thick and hard the chest plate and sternum is. It also takes on a very yellow tint. She can't penetrate the bones, so she actually does the rest of the autopsy through the abdomen, which is easier because there's no bones. Uh, internal organs are in the right place, but the heart is special. It's enlarged by about 30% and has extra arteries. The organs also all have thicker membranes than they should. So that's pretty much everything we learned. Yep. With the autopsy, I believe. Uh, Michael arrives, as does Carl, who uh, gets uh, volunteered to clean up. Uh, poor Carl. He just can't win. Well, she like tried to get Michael to help, and then the second Carl got there, Michael's like, Carl, oh, do it! Carl. And just ran out of the room <laughs> like a little bitch. This is you. This is all you. Uh, and Michael wants to know why she went so deep. Uh, Tanya explains that um, she kept finding interesting things and had to keep going. She explains they are strong and durable and would hate to see one alive. Carl says, I did see one alive. Uh, Tanya isn't sure why they uh, become what they become, but she has some ideas potentially as to how. Um, Carl mentions how the others were attacked, uh, were forming thick skin. Michael freaks out a touch by that because he didn't know that the others were turning like that. Carl explains that he that the ones that turned almost immediately took on the tough skin traits. Carl and Michael begin a he-said-she-said argument about whether Carl told Michael all these th- all these things. Riley finally is able to put two and two together and realizes that the number ones came from the bowels of the hospital and recounts slightly, not fully, her experiences with Kalani in the basement, but leaves out the part where she met the one with the markings. When she uh, says, uh, when I, it, she says something along the lines of, it was me and Kalani, but she says Kalani, like, the worst way she could have. So it's like, Kalani, and I have no idea what she said the first time I heard it. It did strike me as odd, and I don't know that. No, like, she, I heard she said Kelly Kalani and, and then I couldn't make out what the other one was, and then I was like, "But she wasn't there with Kelly." So then I had to like think about it for a second. Yeah, and I was like, "It has to be Kalani," and then it made sense. Yeah, but it's, it was just—it's like the yeah. Kalani and I, like it, it sort of flowed together a little bit. It did sound a little strange, and I actually had to think back. I was like, "Is that the first time she's actually said her name?" And I was like, "No, of course not." He, she said Kalani's name a bunch. Um. So, with a bit of horror, Michael also puts two and two together and realizes there's an unaccounted potential inkling in Sergeant Griggs, and it was about 30 miles away from Boulder 11 days ago. Michael and Puck rush to headquarters to give uh, to have uh, Kimmet check in with Boulder and warn them about a potential attack. I did, and I fail to see how this is any different. One of these things took out most of our rescue crew. It is different, sir. Some new kind we've never encountered. Incredibly strong and dangerous. Kimmet is convinced after a little bit of prodding and calls to put the city on alert. They try to raise Boulder, but are unable to. Then they try to call the mayor. Nothing. Then they try the gateway. Also, no success. Nothing? You serious? Not even a fucking telegraph. Sir, all IP pings are timing out. No systems online. Get a task force scrambled. I want to know what's going on there. We're too late. It's too late. And that is the end of Red Winter. Fantastic 15-minute recap of two episodes. I do what I can. So um, so let's, just as a whole, what did you think of the two episodes? I really enjoyed them. I mean, as I'm sure at least 95% of the people listening to We're Alive were, I was disappointed when we moved away from the Saul and Lizzie storyline. But I, was just, I, I think I was we've just moved mad. on to something that's at least as good. It may be better at this point. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, I'm I'm mad that I was wrong that we moved away from from the colony. 
But, you know, I, w- I was rewarded. I'm okay with that. You know, right, exactly. It, I mean, it had to happen at some point, and it's a bummer that it happened on the, on you know, like, leaving us hanging on the edge, but that's kind of what Casey does anyway. So if it wasn't there, it would have been with something else directly after it. So just kind of have to pick your poison and go along with the story, and I think that he 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 pulled us away in order to keep us interested, but still, this... Uh, alternate storyline is now becoming maybe more interesting than that one anyway. I would say that it is definitely more interesting. I don't think that I've seen one comment on the forum, at least. I didn't really... I haven't really been paying too much attention to the Facebook page uh, in the last couple weeks, but I didn't really see anyone on the forum say, what the fuck? Why aren't we there anymore? You know, it was a little bit in part one, but once we were there in part one, it was like, oh, okay, we're reestablishing the story. I'm interested to see where it goes. You know, a lot of people... Some people were disappointed at that point, but since chapter, uh, part two came out, I haven't seen a single person complain. I want to know what's going on at the colony. What happened with Saul and Lizzie? You know, we want to know that. Don't get me wrong. But no one's made mention of it because there's so much to talk about and there's so much new information yeah. coming at us. I mean, I'm glad that we jumped right into it and there wasn't a necessary, you know, half a chapter or full chapter of buildup before something happened. It was just, you know, like 10 minutes in the first chapter and then you kind of got back into it and you were feeling the characters and then you jump right back into it and now something big is happening, setting up for what is probably going to be the season finale. Yeah, it, I'm interested to see how it connects or if it even connects. I don't know that we... I wouldn't be surprised if it does connect. I they, I, I, I could I, see him doing two, like, in the same, you know, episode, having two different storylines and sort of finishing this one in line with the Saul and Victor and Lizzie storyline, like, coming to a reasonable conclusion. And then uh, in the final season, having everything tie back together if that is supposed to happen, which I would assume that it is. Yeah, I... I really want the stories to connect this season because I want that resolution to the colony. But if it didn't, I would probably understand because we are about to go see a bloodbath, to the best of my understanding. So let me ask you this question and put you on the spot if you haven't thought about this yet. Oh, sure. Uh, who, if anybody that we know in Boulder, is going to die in this battle? I posted on the forum that there's the potential for this to end up being found footage. Do you know what I mean? Sort of like what the Blair Witch Project was. It's footage people find after everyone's dead. Right. So, and again, that's not going to be helpful because you're not going to know what happened, per se. Because you're not going to... No one's going to sit down while they're being attacked and go, Dearest Michael, this is what is happening, right? And you get stabbed. <laughs> My dearest Michael, I am well. How are you? <laughs> I am being attacked by a zombie in it 10 is, seconds. So is, I'm going to keep this brief. It's like, yeah. Well, I guess it could be off. if, like, maybe, you know, let's say it's pegs for the sake of just telling what I have to say. It, like, gets away and is, like, has locked herself up in some room somewhere and is, like, writing on this, you know, journal or, or mm-hmm. paper or whatever the hell she has. And it she has, you know, some downtime between when the zombies kick in the door and when you know, she's still alive with nothing to do or she can sort of at least record her side of the story. So I could see something like that potentially happening. Right. So I I, I put my vote in for the found footage. Maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't. Um, I would like the, the, the people that have gone there to be fine. I really would like to see Datu again. I want to see Kelly again, if for no other reason that uh, some of them just need to be killed off in a spectacular fashion. Right. Um, 
So you know what I mean? Like I, I would like them to survive. I would like to hear from them again before they're written out. Now again, I don't think that Pegs necessarily will die because I feel like she ties into the, my bigger storyline with Scratch, and she should still be there. Yeah. Um. So I, I definitely don't think that Pegs is dead. Because if nothing else, she still has a resolution to get to with Michael. She still has a story to tell. She's not going away. Datu and Hope and Kelly. Obviously, uh, it, it wouldn't happen the way that I'm about to say, but I would be okay if, like, they all, like, everybody at the fort died. Or at the, you know, at, at Boulder. Boulder died. And they get over there, and it's just like, you know, the four or five people that we know that are over there, like, we we are holed up, come save us. And, like, Michael rolls in like a pimp <laughs> and just takes out everything. And then it's like, all right, the gang's back together. What now? And then they roll out. Like, I would be okay with that, honestly. It's not realistic, and it's not going to no, happen, but I would, think that would be pretty awesome. That, that, that would be awesome, but I have to say the likelihood of that happening is pretty slim. Yeah, I mean, there's hundreds of people there, and they would be the five that survived. I can't see that happening, but I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. We'll see how it works <laughs> that would out. That be so convenient. It's like, oh, you went away for three chapters. Here you are again. Hooray! Yeah, exactly. Um, So let's see here. Um, A couple of posts from the forum. So back into part two. Uh, early in the podcast, around uh, three minutes and nine seconds, the Blackhawk co- uh, occupants notice movement along a tree line, and they quickly dismiss it. I think that may have been the private uh, missing soldier, Private Grig, who has been turned into an advanced little one, or I say inkling. And uh, as this was a fleeting sight of movement, they the between Boulder and the Chinook, um, it suggests that Grig is moving towards Boulder, and that was from Blood and Ice Cream. And I really like that theory. I like the idea that they saw something, they moved to it, you don't think about it, but that's what it could potentially be. And it wasn't, at that point, too far away, I don't think. I, you know, I don't know the airspeed velocity of a Blackhawk. I don't know how fast they can go. I don't know how much time they or how much space they could have covered in the time they were talking between when they did their little detour and when they found the Chinook. Um, but that's a really cool theory, and I really, really like it. Um, just because it, it opens up so many possibilities. So, there's that... Do you think that that was just maybe red herring, or do you think that may have been Griggs? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it could go either way, right? But I, I, I think that's a cool way for it to go. I agree. Yeah, and I'm not sure they have actually even noticed movement because I think if they had said movement, they would have actually hung around a little bit longer. <laughs> you asshole! <laughs> uh, oh, hey, uh, check out the tree line on the right. Moving there. Ah, never mind. That's not I think that Robin's just noticed something that didn't look right. Which, again, could be this inkling, advanced little one, whatever you want to call it, uh, bouncing from tree to tree to tree. Right, and, or it could just be, you know, like, oh, I thought I saw something, but I must not have, because it's not there anymore. You know, like... Right. And, you know, it was moving along, moving along. Oh, shit, there's something coming. If they're as smart as we think they are, uh-oh, I'm going to go duck in the trees and hide. Yeah. I don't, don't want to get caught. Because if they keep memories, they know that the army's going to... Griggs knows the army's going to come kill him. Well, and even if they're just anywhere near, you know, as smart as, like, an animal, and they're not just wandering around like a mindless being, then they know, you know, like, any animal really has the basic sense to run away from anything that's foreign, so. Right, if it's loud and noisy, just run away, it's probably safer that way. Right, exactly. Um, Triggernator. Uh, Anyone notice that the advanced little ones seem to have the features of all the other species blended together? Smart one brains, fast one. 
excuse me, fast one speed, jumpers, jumps, uh, the behemoth, the tough skin. Just been thinking about it. Also would explain why the behemoths are so damn tough, having extremely dense, leathery skin. Um, and I also like that because it's sort of like an amalgamation of all the different traits, and they all go into one, and it's like the supreme being. Um, I don't like the idea that it's sort of Franken-zombie, which I have long said I hate. But Well, I think it's, I mean, obviously what we're coming to closer and closer every time we run into these new zombies is that they're being engineered by somebody or something. So it would make sense that they have sort of traits from all of the other, quote, supered zombies. Uh, but I don't think that they have any traits that are on par with the super zombies. Like, it's not as strong as the tank slash Hulk slash whatever zombie. Mm -hmm. It's not... I don't think it's as smart as, you know, if you want to refer to Ink as the leader or the smartest one. But I think it sort of is a compilation of all of them, you know, at like 75%, basically. Sort of like when you get a TV-DVD combo. You don't really excel at either one, but you're kind of good at both. Right. But, you know, you don't ever want to actually buy one of those combo things. You just want to buy the two things, and they'll do better on their own. Um, and I mean, this leads into the, the to, you know, to the large question, which none of us have an answer, and I'm not really going to pose it, because we have sort of collectively talked about this on this podcast, ad nauseum, you know, what makes the, what makes the zombies who they are, and how do the, how do the special ones come about, and, you know, this is the most advanced special one, how does it come about? You know, it's so hard to get into right now, we don't have the information we need, uh, and we have already speculated on it, just almost every podcast, so. Uh, we're not going to really go into that today. Um, Hoff 4D. I'm still pretty hung up on the numbering system. One, does the one with the markings mark his elite soldiers slash successes, or does the number, or does he number them based on batch? Uh, two, do they grow a number once turned? Lol. Uh, like, does number two bite scratch, bites slash scratch some dude, and they grow a number two on their arm as well, or does it just create an inkling? I like it too. Offspring uh, sands the number. That said. Uh, in every running with the little ones, only one of them had a number, I think. Uh, so they're um, like infantry numbers. Number two makes his own number two battalion moving north. Number nine makes one moving west, etc. Number four and final, and furthering that, are the numbered little ones able to get along, or will they fight amongst themselves, i.e. created by number two, allegiances lied to number two, and would attack anyone created by number nine? So, four questions. Let's take them one by one. Does the one with the markings mark his soldier his soldier slash successes, or do they number does he number a batch? I think it's probably he's making um not a batch. I think he's probably doing one at a time and marking them individually. I don't see any real way to make a batch, and I don't see there being that many of them that have markings. I think the illusion that, you know, when they bite somebody or, or transform somebody, then they sort of follow suit makes more sense to me. <laughs> if if uh, Griggs got to Boulder, there's going to be a whole shit ton of them. Yep. Number two. Um, I mean, and that follows through with the whole, like, zombie logic, too, where it's like an exponential increase. So you wouldn't really need any more than, you know, however many there are, right, like 10 or 15. Right, 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 right. In theory, you, you would just need that many, and then once they bite 10 each, you know, you're... You're screwed. Right. And they tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and so on, and so on. Thank you, Wayne's World. Uh, so, number two. Um, do they grow the number once they're turned? Um, uh, no. No, they don't. I'm not even finishing the question again. Um, yeah, definitely not. No, definitely, definitely not. They 
because at that point, then we would note that all the people that number two attacked out uh, by the Chinook, they all would have grown number twos. Um, so no, that's probably not the case. I can almost say with about as much certainty as you can ever say anything with the Casey Wayland product. Um, every run-in with the little ones has a number. So are they like infantry numbers? Number two makes his own battalion moving north. Number nine makes one moving west. Um, I don't think they're that organized. But it would be great if they were. They may become that organized, but they may need ink. Uh, the, one, the, the one with the markings or whatever you feel like calling them today. Um, they may need him to control it. So if uh, the one with the markings can make his way out to Boulder to get a hold of all the people that are about to become inklings, um, yeah, that would be bad. Um, and finally, do they get uh, along amongst themselves, do you think? Do the number ones, uh, does like number two get along with number nine? Or do they have like petty grievances because number two was made second, so it's obviously superior to that number nine bullshit fucker? No, I think they probably get a, get along pretty well. I think if the way that my brain has sort of formed it without any actual information, they maybe were like bred kind of together, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah. I think as I mentioned if if you want to say that Paul is is making them, then for the sake of you know explaining, then like when Paul makes one, he makes one individually. But I think that there's probably some sort of gestation period where they have to sort of be babies still, you know. So I think they probably get to know each other at least a little bit. I don't know how much contact they have, but you're right. I mean, they're definitely separating after they go out into the world, so they're not too attached to each other at this point. Yeah, I don't know how they would work when they were, you know, faced off at each other in adulthood, but I wouldn't be surprised if they worked as a team versus working against each other. Well, right, and we know that they work together when they're really small because that's what happened to Angel and Kalani when they were at the reserve bases, that the two of them were working in tandem and sort of attacking them. They never really got far with it, because I guess they were smaller or whatever, but, you know, they did work as a cohesive unit at that point. But, you know, we don't. We haven't really seen them enough to know what they, they, how they socialize. You know, we get a better idea that the zombies, the regular ones, you know, they can move in a group, and they don't seem to really attack each other, per se. I don't, I don't think we've seen zombie-on-zombie violence. No, I don't think that we have with any of them. So, Do you know how many... Uh, in theory, there are at this point, like, what the highest number we've seen are and how high, many have died. The highest number we've seen, I believe, is 12. So there should, in theory, be at least 12. We've killed number two. We've ripped the arm off of number four. Um, uh, what number? Number nine is dead as well. Where do we see number 12? I feel like we've seen number 12 somewhere. Didn't that... Is that the I'm one that thinking attacked maybe Roman? that happened with the with the tractor trailer convoy. No, that was number four. That was the one that uh, bricks ripped the arm off of. Oh, okay. Um, I feel I remember seeing or hearing number twelve. It's stuck in my head that twelve is the highest number we've seen. I feel like hmm. that may have been the one that attacked Roman. I feel like that may be the case. Um, and you guys can post in the thread. I'll post uh, for this tomorrow. Um, on the forum, you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. Well, the the convenient thing for Casey to do with this story so that it doesn't just get crazy out of hand, unless he's planning on having everybody die, because if it is like an exponential increase for smarter, stronger, faster uh, zombies, Six million dollar then it's man going zombies. to be a much different war to be fought in, you know, two months. So I think 
if uh, if he wants to take some approach, like they transform the person that they bite, but it doesn't spread from them to anybody else for whatever reason, I could see that happening as well to keep it at least reasonably small numbers. Maybe, but I think that if you make it a large enough number, it makes it so intimidating that you have that that futility of survival, which is yeah. the hallmark of every zombie story is it is you are better off dying because these yeah, odds are terrible. Uh, I, and we, I, the reason I say that is because I want it to happen the way I said, just because yeah, no, he's understand. done a pretty great job of getting us actually attached to characters. But right. you're right. It, we're, we're listening to a zombie zombie drama. I mean, it's not going to end in a pleasant way. <laughs> yeah, like, like I said a few episodes, uh, I guess maybe three, four episodes ago, I wouldn't be shocked if the person that is telling the story is the one with the markings. He's the one that found all of Michael's journals, and he's recapping the whole thing. That would be awesome. I don't know that it's going to be the case, but that's what I'm sticking my hat on right now. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like we've ever gotten that sense of futility yet. I mean, there it was definitely there in the first few chapters, but after they got sort of solidified in the tower, you're right. It definitely got minimized to the point where we were almost comfortable saying, yeah, and this chapter nobody's gonna die and in the next chapter nobody's gonna die and right you're right it's sort of time for things to be shaken up again exactly and that's another you know i'm not saying this is cliche i'm not saying what casey's doing is formulaic you know we start off where oh my god such incredible odds against us and then eventually you figure out oh these regular zombies are nothing that's no big deal we can handle those and then you know you start moving into complacency and Things are just easier, and something happens, and, you know, then we start getting that... It's usually because people start... You, you lose, like, one character, and then people start thinking, oh, man, it really is sort of a big fucking deal, and this is what we're living in. Um, and that's when it starts to get that fu- the futility of living. And yeah. I, I, th- I feel like we're heading there now. I don't feel like we've been there before, really, in the show. Um, but I feel like we're getting close to it now. Especially if... Griggs, as the inkling advanced little one, makes it to Boulder and turns everyone. That's a huge problem. It would be crazy. Just a little bit. Um, I remember we did talk about how um, Kimmet was at a nuclear arms facility. That hasn't been brought up in a while. If that whole city is toast and turned, uh, be prepared Drop to have bomb. it. Be prepared to have it nuked. And be prepared for Michael to lose his mind because Pegs and Kelly, Datu, and Hope are there. Um, so that's potentially a huge conflict coming up, and that would be huge. Um, Litmaster, getting back to forum posts, um, in thirty in the thirty three two uh, thread, uh, called it uh, autopsy scene. I would love if the next episode were to have an autopsy scene back at Irwin. Ding ding ding, winner winner. Uh, in some secret back room somewhere. I hope Michael and the gang find something that will eventually lead, compel them into an eventual confrontation with the source of the genetic zombie uh, tinkering. Ink, baby. Uh, so you know, this... Go ahead. both of the times I listened to this episode, I was eating breakfast. And I don't know, like, I listened to it once and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm eating breakfast and I'm listening to Tanya squish around some zombie organs. And it's not the best, but I have a reasonable stomach, so I'll just sit here and listen to it. It'll be fine. And then today, I knew that I was going to be on the show, so I decided that I was going to go back and listen to it again. And without thinking at all, I decided to do it again while I ate breakfast. And I don't know why I did that. Were you eating oatmeal? Right, no, actually cereal, which is almost just as bad. 
Yeah, because you can get the crunching and it makes you think of the bones. That'll work. Um, also from the 33.2 discussion post, Lido2502. Uh, here's where it sta- uh, what stands out to me. Michael apparently has a network of people like Carl that report back to him and are able to uh, be inserted into mission plans as uh, the, as Michael's eyes and ears, and is shown in this episode to have their loyalty more to Michael than to Kemet. Uh, last episode, Michael and Puck were talking about having one of ours in Boulder, which was Carl, and maybe more like him, are given sat phones and challenge codes uh, when conducting uh, when contacting him. Puck seems surprised at the Roman pillar fell on the fish. Given Robin's reaction to Carl having the sat phone, it is way out of the ordinary for someone of his rank to have one. My question is, does Kimmett know of the network, or is Michael working on his own or in uh, an unless otherwise directed fashion? Um, so do you think that Michael is consciously creating his own anti-Kimmett clan? I don't know if it's like a goal to become, you know, like to overthrow Kimmett. I don't think it's like this this negative thing that Michael's doing. I just think that's definitely the way that he works. He he likes to at least have the sense that he's in charge. And it's it's definitely something that that he would do. You know, he he sees things the way he sees things and he doesn't have much tolerance for other people's views when he thinks he's right. Yeah. So it makes sense that even though he would, you know, respect power and do everything that he can to obey the power, when there's something that he knows he's going to be correct about, uh, he's going to, you know, sort of forge his own path away from what he's told to do, I think. Yeah, and I don't think that it's really a conscious effort to have people, I I, I don't know, I guess spy for him or whatever whatever term you want to use. I just think that uh, Michael is a charismatic person. He has people that follow him. It's the same problem that Angel had with him, was that people followed Michael and they didn't care about Angel. And Kim has got a stick up his ass like Angel did. uh, And people like him better. So people, I'm sorry, like Michael better, not Kim. Uh, They like Michael better, so they follow him just instinctively and they'll do things as they ask. They'll risk their own careers and their lives to sneak number two back with the body of Captain Long, because uh, Michael asked him. Uh, Penguin wants to know, uh, were they shooting at her head, also referring to number two, um, at the Chinook site? I don't think so. Seems although everyone knows headers still uh, kill, they still continue to shoot center mass. Now, I can understand why the shooting of center mass is, not, is knocking them down, but now that the zombie girl is bullet-resistant, why not just start making all headshots? Sure, it's harder to hit in the head, but if shooting 15 times in the chest to get... Uh, to get three through to maybe knock it down, or maybe 15 times at the head to get one to kill it, I would work on the headshots. Um, generally speaking, like you said, headshots are harder, is my understanding. I don't really shoot that much. Um, I have shot before, when I was 17, I think. I was in high school. Um, and I sort of did a, um, a, a police shooting test to see if I would pass. And I did okay. I hit the head, and I, like I shot the cheek when I was doing my headshot after the two to the chest. It's hard, and that's a stationary target, and these things are moving. It's really hard to hit a very small little tiny window. Yeah, that, and I think just having military training, I think generally you're not supposed to shoot for the head. You're supposed to shoot for the chest. Well, I don't know if military is different than police. Police, generally speaking, are taught two to the chest, one to the head. Um, you shoot the two shots in the chest. If they don't go down from that, you shoot them in the head because they will go down from that. Um, at least that's my understanding. Um, and again, if you know better because you are military or you know better because you are a police officer, 
please comment, let us know, correct us. We are okay with being wrong and corrected. But I think that that's what they're trained to do. My uh, thoughts as well. Clem131 also on uh, part two, and I think this will be the last one for part two. Um, I had some trouble understanding things in this episode, so the little one was hanging on the helicopter for roughly four and a half hours, only after the time he attacked opening the helicopter like a sardine can, which was confirmed by Casey. Yes, that is exactly what happened. Um, I would appreciate some kind of scheme of who was in the Blackhawk and who was in the Chinook. I really got turned around by that, uh, and one who gets off the Blackhawk and one who gets turned into a little one and who blah, 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 blah. Um, so the answer to that was posted by... Okay, and this is by uh, Penguin as well. Um, who had it written down? So, okay, let's start on the ground. Which was Fowler, Grig, and Long. Fowler gets killed heading toward the Chinook. Long goes back to the map and then gets squished. That leads us to the Chinook. On the Chinook was the pilot co-pilot, Navigator, which is the minimal crew. Long, who was strapped down. Grig, who was strapped down. And I'm thinking the, na the navigator got off his station and strapped them down. The Chinook crashes after the little one opens it up. That leaves the, the pilot dead on impact. Two others, co-pilot and navigator, getting cut down by the minigun, which is the people that um, Robin's liquefied. Long is dead um, and partially snacked on, and Griggs is missing. The Blackhawk has his crew, pilot, co-pilot, and navigator, Anthony, uh, Robin's, Carl, and a few other non-importance, uh, which was the medical staff. Um, Anthony, Carl kill all, with the exception of Grig, who is missing. Obviously, you have the pilot, co-pilot, and navigator of... Uh, you have at least the pilot that's still alive from the Black Hawk, because they can't fly and shoot at the same time. So, hopefully that helps you. So, moving on to part three, which was unanimously everyone loved. I, I sure. did not see... One bad word about it. Everyone loved the cliffhanger. They loved the context of. The I mean, autopsy. it was the classic episode, right? Like you get some, you get some gross, you get some suspense, you get some uh, doubt, and then you get some like real cliffhanger. And you get some really cool zombie information. Yeah, like everyone, constantly, everyone's requesting. Like it's the same thing. What a great cliffhanger. I want to see the video of whoever it was doing the foley. I want to know what it was like to, like, you know, mash your fingers into chicken liver. And I'm positive I heard a celery stalk snap personally because <laughs> I know that trick. Um, <laughs> I, I know that whenever you need to break a bone on radio, you grab a stick of, of celery and you snap it in half. Do they actually sound similar or is that just something that people can, like, visualize? Um, I don't know. I've, I've, I've never heard a bone. Uh, I've, never, I've never actually broken a bone, so I don't know how similar it sounds. I know that people accept it as the Hollywood version. Sure. Um, but I know that, um, what was it? I think it was when Tanya was first drilling in to the chest at, like, the bullet wound. Yeah. Because at that point, mm -hmm. the muscles were so tense that when she cut it, it actually snapped. And I'm pretty sure that's where I heard the celery snap. Because uh, it was the, the muscle releasing. Um, new forum member Pillars. Hello and welcome. Um, I also thought greetings, about, greetings from We're Not Dead podcast. I also thought about how the little one's eyes were normal compared to the regulars. Also, when Ink was in the tower, Michael described his eyes as being bright green. It seems that Ink and the little ones have normal eyes. Maybe that, uh, maybe some importance. Maybe not. Um, and you know we've covered the eyes of Ink, sort of, a lot, because they are. 
you know, green in their normal relatively. Um, so that it has to have some meaning that they are normal and the other ones are cloudy and misty and, you know, not Dead. really seeing. Um, awkward Alex. Uh, holy crap, the whole time I thought during the autopsy, it's going to wake up, it's going to sit up, and don't tell me I'm alone. Cheesy horror movies have trained us to do this. And then at the end, wow, we can end up uh, in Boulder for the finale. But the real question, are we going to go back to the colony or stay with Michael? Or switch to the Boulder? Because if you recall, we have Pegs and Datu uh, leave the story before. And again, um, we do have to have someone collect the journals before we can hear the story. Like, the reason that we heard uh, part two of this chapter is because we got the reports from Carl and Robbins, which were brought to uh, Irwin. So that's how we know what happened out there. So we would have to have a journal entry to know what happened at Boulder during the attack. Would you be mad if, like, Casey just... I mean, he said he would answer questions at the end of the show when it was done done. Mm -hmm. But would you be mad if just, like... There were no reports. They they went to Boulder and they were like, shit got fucked up. And there was nobody alive and there was no written recordings mm-hmm. or anything. So they were just like, we'll never know. Like, would you be upset about that? Yes and no, because I would like to hear the battle. Um, so I would like to hear that. But no, I wouldn't be upset because I don't need... Necess- I mean, if there's no real importance to how the battle was fought or won... I'm okay just knowing the result. Like, if there was no acts of heroism or storylines that are important to us, fine, I don't care. We can skip over that, and I can just see 100,000 little ones. That's Right, okay. you can That's just okay. make that the spinoff series in five years. Yeah, absolutely. It can It can be its own little thing later on down the road, I guess. Um, all right, so we've been going back and forth talking about advanced little ones and my preferred thing, Inklings. Inkling. Um, and it's, it ended up taking over the discussion thread for probably about five pages worth of discussion as to what the hell to call the little ones now. Because they're not really little anymore. They're six feet tall. Um, so people have abbreviated to be uh, ADLOs. Uh, so advanced little ones, ADLO. Um, and then there's a few of us that prefer Inklings because they are of Inks. They're, they're Inks little offspring. Which one would you prefer? I like I like Inkling better, but I think the acronym what was it, ADLO? Yeah, ADLO. I think is how the best way to pronounce it. I I like I like having <laughs> I like having like a shorter word to say it, but I think Inkling makes more sense and sounds uh cooler. Yeah, I mean, it's, it'd be one of the things where, like, if we just keep calling them little ones, because, you know, that's what Saul says, and that's what Casey's going with is, you know, Lizzie said it, sticking with it. So, you know, if we kept calling them little ones, fine. But I think that, as, like, the forum members are, have been discussing, it, it'd be nice to distinguish between those little ones we met with Kalani and Angel, um, the little one that we met uh, in the ambush with the Maulers, versus what we're dealing with now. They should be, uh, They should be designated something else. Right, unless they actually are just grown-up little ones, and then you probably should call them maybe the advanced, or you could just keep calling them uh, little ones and just sort of go off of the mentality where the giant bouncer's name is Tiny, because it's ironic. Yeah, maybe. I suppose that'll work, too. Um, so, with chapter th- uh, with part three, there was some bits of confusion amongst the forum members. 
um, about some of like the the convenient timings of some things. Like, um, who was it? It was. I'm pretty sure it was Litmaster that first brought it up. Um, yeah, my suspension of disbelief was really stretched in this episode. Really, he didn't read the report this whole time, meaning Michael, about Carl's report. Really, Griggs uh, begins his strike at precisely the moment of the autopsy slash funeral. Hmm, a bit too convenient if you ask me. And Casey responded, yeah, regrettably, even I have to agree with that. Uh, there was a structure change near the last minute before recording on the seventh draft, and now there's a little hanging chat that I don't like that it has to get, uh, they got left over. Uh, I will be doing a small tweet for the remaster. The story will be the same. I'll only mention it because I too agree that it was just a little bit sloppy. And the sloppy part is that we don't know why Michael doesn't read the report, which is that the report showed up with the bodies because it was the first flight out of Boulder since the whole incident happened. So Robin's report, Carl's report, all showed up with the bodies, and Michael didn't explain that. And Casey didn't really explain it well, which is what he's saying is going to get amended when he goes back to remaster this for the Season 3 CD set. Um, so there's that. There's also the fact that in Part 2, uh, all the information that Michael doesn't know in Part 3, he's told directly over the phone. Now, I understand that he is immediately distracted by the fact that there's a black number, and he's probably more concerned about that and didn't listen to Carl. When he said, I'm 30 miles away from Boulder, blah, 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 all the stuff in part three that gets repeated that Michael doesn't remember. You know, all that stuff is contained in the report, but he also heard it firsthand. So, again, Michael has this nasty habit of not listening to people, and it's really it's really becoming problematic because it's, <laughs> it's really starting to, to screw people's lives up just a little bit. It's, it's getting in the way of a couple things, for sure. Yeah, just a touch. Um... Let's see here. We can edit this out, I hope. I do too. Bees, do your work. Nope. Uh, now that we asked him to, he's not going to do it, and we're going to leave that dead silence in there for no reason. Uh, Damn, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, you know what? I don't even care anymore. It's perfectly fine to have that much dead air while I'm trying to find the next forum post I wanted to read. Um, I did a little research to see. Uh, this is Cabbage Patch. I did a little research to see what was happening in Boulder during the time of December sixteenth, two thousand nine. That was the day of the Boulder Home Brewers Festival. No one's answering the phones. Maybe it's not a problem after all. So everyone's just sloshed. That's okay. You don't agree, do you? Yeah. No, no, no Boulder Beer Fest. No Boulder Beer Fest. You are no fun. <laughs> uh, I guess Jinja would be the way you pronounce this person's uh, forum name. Also a new forum member. Is it just me, or does anyone else have the suspicion that Boulder doesn't really exist? Almost as soon as the group got redirected, I started to think that. They aren't actually safe in Boulder. It could, for all we know, be a breeding-slash-feeding ground for all the zombies. I think, excuse me, I think the people are in the communication towers, are isolated, and don't really know what they're in. Uh, that they're in a community of over 150,000 people. Or the people shifted there it could be slaves, workers, or just zombie food. Something about the whole Boulder thing just never rang true for me. There's all there's also a clue that I dismissed as a red herring uh, that now I can't remember exactly, but it had something to do with the military insignia of the fort and the zombies being connected. Just my thoughts. And by the way, hi, I'm a fan. Um, so do you think that uh, Boulder is the Matrix? I think it would be funny if they were like, yeah, these people are just going to go get trained and then they ship them off and just drop them off in the middle of nowhere and they get eaten. But I don't think that that's the fact. I mean, you talk about having 
uh, new soldiers coming in from Boulder and all that. So it can't really be that. Well, then, you know, unless Carl's a real prick, I figure that we would know about it. Because, yeah. you know, he keeps going there and he keeps seeming to be relatively fine when he comes back. Um, uh, I think it would be kind of funny, like, even just, like, as an alternate fanfic or something, like, he drop them off and they're like, wait, we're not here. And they're like, bye, see you later. And they just get, like, attacked. <laughs> that would be horrible. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lord. Um, okay, so... Kimmet. Kimmet's sort of interesting right now. He's always been sort of straight-laced by the book, and now his rash decision to send the Chinook directly to Boulder instead of to the forward operating base of Irwin for Long's care has resulted in potentially the entire death of Boulder. Uh, where, where do you think his headspace is? Like, is he... Does he really have a sense of right and wrong anymore? Do you think he's heading that way? Do you think it, that's just an overreaction? Or, you know, where do you think he's at? It's hard to tell. I mean, it, it, it could go either way. I, I know I'm sitting on a lot of fences here, but... Does your butt hurt, by the way? Is it like a picket fence? Or is it like, you know, a flat top so you don't hurt yourself? Oh, yeah. It hurts a little bit. But I think it's better than getting a bunch of shit later. So, I don't know. It, it could go either way. I'd like to think that maybe he's sort of leaning towards crazy, because then we can see somebody else take charge, and that'll be cool. Yeah. Um, I don't... I I really... I I don't want to say I don't like Kimmet, because I do like him. He's He seems to be a, a perfectly reasonable person for the most part. Um, he just also seems like he's kind of a dick at other times. Like, he he's the, he is the reason that this is all happening. He's the reason that people are, are, are potentially dead in Boulder. It's all his fault. And, you know, all it's going to take is one person to actually call him on it. And that could be the end of his little career. Um, so, I don't know. He's, he's, he's a very hard character to get a read on. Especially since, you know, he's apparently also an alcoholic. That maybe just me reading into it too much. Um, anything? <laughs> hey, did you know there was an autopsy we didn't really talk about? Uh, I, I don't know. We talked about it a little bit. We talked about it a little bit, but we didn't really talk about the important things, like the the thicker membranes on all the organs. That's sort of interesting because that means that they're creating their own protection on top of the fact that they're being cre- protected by leathery skin and harder bones. Um, but the heart, that's clutch they grow extra arteries in and out of the heart which means that they can increase their blood flow which means they're able to do all this really crazy shit that we've seen them do so far they fuck shit up for sure yeah and that's that's probably the coolest thing that's that has been revealed so far about the zombies so far like we now have a physiological reason why they're able to run fast how they're able to jump so high and long and far and whatever um why they might have super strength and just why they're so resilient to everything. We were given explanations for all of it, finally. And, of course, this is, you know, talking about the advanced little one, and obviously they're different than everything else. But, you know, we got a reason. We know that their bones are thicker, so they're able to stop bullets. We still don't know why the why they are the way they are, 
but now we have reasons for why they're able to do what they can do, and that's really cool. And I appreciate. You think that. that's only with the special zombies? That's not with all zombies, though, right? Um, I don't know, because the the toe that um that Tanya received had that sort of harder bone in it, so that that's a trait amongst all of them. It seems, at least, that some of the the modifications happen to all of them. Um, like the behemoths have the hard, the the leathery skin, and the regular ones have harder bones, which means they also are probably the ones that have um, the thicker organs. They probably don't have necessarily the bigger hearts and the extra arteries, um, but they do have extra physical protection built in. Yeah. So. So it's cool that we finally are getting reasons. Now, of course, that means that for the next probably five chapters, we're not going to learn anything else about the zombies. Well, of course, yeah. Because now we just got like a huge, gigantic info drop on the zombies and how they are, why they are the way they are. I also think it's because we're going to, you know, go focus on the story and what's happening in Boulder. So, so is there anything else? The two uh, chapter parts. I don't think so. I mean. As mentioned, it's a lot of information, and there's yeah. not too much analytics that you can put over it. I think most of it's pretty straightforward, and there's not too much that we can analyze to its fullest extent without having more information to plug into it. But yeah. I am pretty eager to see what happens uh, in the next chapter. Definitely. Um how many chapters do we have left until the finale? We have 34, 35, and 36, and then we're done with season three. Oh, wow. So, so we're, we have three we're more. close. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've got basically October, November, and maybe December, and then maybe six months off, and we're we're waiting again. Back at it again. Yeah. Yeah, ba- back at our six-month or four-month or however many months uh, layoff while Casey writes and the actors get a break and... Stuff of that nature. All right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm really excited to see what happens next. And I don't know. It's. Yeah. It's. It's gonna be good. Yeah. I definitely agree. Um. All right. So some notes and news and notes from around the We're Live universe. Um. Alyssa Elliott, the the lovely uh, Alyssa Elliott who plays Pegs. Um. She she had an appendectomy. Um. In Japan, while she was over there visiting. That's so, crazy. Um, so she's... I think she's out of the hospital now. Um, she posted to Facebook, uh, thanking everyone for the well wishes. Um, so if you haven't done so already, or if you're not... Like, if you are on her fan page, or if you're friends with her on Facebook and you didn't know, drop her a line, uh, wish her well, hope so that she feels better, because that's some crazy shit to go on to a vacation and then end up in a hospital and have your appendix removed so you don't die um so Alyssa, feel better uh we adore you and yes Um, yes please feel better so uh, another thing um and this is something (laughs) and another thing and and now for something completely different um for those of you who don't know um probably start by saying don't freak out don't freak out don't (laughs) don't don't freak out um, this is something that we I, w- I was waiting to get uh, Britt and myself back together for, um, because, you know, uh, this is something that 
concerns uh, former host Greg Miller. Uh, he announced, and this was a while ago, and I feel, and I, I was trying to get this so that it was her and myself back on the podcast, but it needs to be mentioned here. It, it's gone on way too long. Um, uh, Greg Miller does have cancer. He announced it on his blog on IGN over the summer. Um, and of course he did it with all Greg Miller humor, um, saying that he's going to be like the dude from Breaking Bad and wants to cook meth. Um, so I'm not, I haven't really seen any updates as to how, uh, he's doing or how that's progressing. Um, but of course we wish Greg Miller well, obviously, because, uh, let's see, uh, there's maybe, let's say 25,000 people or whatever that regularly listen to We're Alive. 21,000 of them are there because of Greg Miller. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about, that, that seems like And let me add on to that just a little bit. Uh, at the at the time, he didn't know exactly how serious it was when I read the uh, post, and I haven't heard much of an update either. But from what he was mentioning, and I did a Google search to the Wikipedia page of which cancer it was, and I don't remember now. Yeah. Um, was it Hodgkin's Hodgkin's lymphoma? Yes. It seems like it's one of the more treatable cancers. It's it's not you know something. It's not like you know, an organ cancer where you have to delve inside somebody's body. I think it's right. uh, a skin-based cancer where as long as they've caught it early enough, which at the time it sounded like uh, they had, he has at least decent odds of making recovery. So yeah. although cancer is cancer, it's definitely not as bad as it could be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's showing him a lot of support and he's uh, been very appreciative of the public sort of um, – out outpouring of love towards him so yeah so if you had not been aware of it before that is that is a reality uh if you don't follow greg miller it's at game over greggy on twitter um you know if you feel inclined drop him a line i'm sure he would love to hear from you um and again like uh, there, there are comments all over the world um wondering who's this nick voodoo prick and why is he here and where's greg miller um greg Again, if you don't know, he ended up uh, moving on from the podcast, this podcast because he got so many extra responsibilities at IGN. I'm not trying to replace him. There's no way I can replace him. I would never even dream of replacing him because there's no replacing Greg Miller. Um, so, you know, that is that that has happened. Um, so send Greg Miller your love. He will appreciate it. Uh, and not to end the podcast on a down note because that's not what we're going to do. Um, We're Live is having a competition currently. Um, it is being run by Cupcake Zombie and KC and uh, members of the forum. Um, and have you ever wondered how how messy Angel's handwriting is? How many times Peg practiced signing her name with Michael's na- uh, last name in her journal? Or if Bricks conveys what he uh, in writing what he can't with words? Well, now is your chance to bring your vision to reality. We're holding a competition where you can create a journal entry for one of the characters in the series. Each entry in the competition should be no more than one page and can have single or multiple uh, actual entries. You must cover something that happened in the story, but doesn't have to necessarily be an entry that we would have heard in an episode. So Scratch writing up an attack uh, up on the attack on the tower is okay, but Pete's adventure in his water truck while killing zombies and saving the tower is not for this competition. Um, so no make-believe, keep it within the realm of reality. 
Um, you can include diagrams or doodles as well as written stuff. Make sure that it is decent digital copy of it, your work so we can appreciate all your wonderful uh, effort. It is possible to just have a computer-type version instead of handwritten, but keep in mind content, creativity, and originality are part of this competition. Uh, as these entries will contain spoilers, please restrict posting your entries to the designated forum page or Facebook competition page. If you post an entry in the wrong place, we will delete it and we won't be counted as your entry. Entries close on the 5th of October, so you still have time to do this. The winner of this will receive a Season 2 copy, uh, a copy of the Season 2 CD set signed by the cast and crew. So if you want to enter... Post below with this as part of your entry, uh, hashtag we're live 100 um, with your name and your city and your country and the content, and that's pretty much it. Uh, if you want more information on that, which is pretty much the entire post I just read, um, go to zombiepodcast.com slash forum, and you can go into the top news section. You'll see a post by Cupcake Zombie with a big title saying competition. Go there. Check it out. Put an entry in. What's the worst you can do? No, no drawing of penises on any of the entries. I figured that went without saying. I don't know. Maybe Pegs is imagining the size of Michael's penis instead of figuring out how Cross looked at the end of her name. <laughs> I like it. Somebody make it. Oh, man. Someone's going to make it now. It's going to be our fault. Don't worry. I'll vote for it. Well, of course you'll vote for it. It's your freaking idea. Um, I'll swing the uh, large hammer that the Redcoats have around the forum and see if I can get a winner out of it. Nice. Um, <laughs> all right, so I'm pretty sure that wraps it up. You can contact us uh, at we're not dead podcast at gmail.com, uh, WND Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Check out We're Live at We're Live. Uh, I'm at Nick Voodoo. Britt is at Britt5091. Bees is at Beesball. You're at It's All Goody, correct? What's that? Your Twitter, It's All Goody? Yeah, I am on It's All uh, on Twitter at It's All Goody. And if I can pimp my podcast real quick. Pimp it. Uh, we're starting up. We're only about eight episodes in, and we had a long, shitty break, but we're back on track now. It's called Good Vibes Radio. We talk about life and the way that the world works. Uh, so you can find that on iTunes or tweet at us at GVR Podcast. Cool, man. Um, yeah, I know nothing about long absences from podcasting. We don't do that. <laughs> we, we, we are a professional racket here. We don't do that sort of shit. Speaking of which, uh, we're probably going to take the week off next week, so, uh, we'll probably end up talking to you again for Chapter 34 when that comes out in the first week of October. Um, I have a list compiled of guest hosts. I will be contacting you shortly. Uh, we will get this arranged so that we can try and get you in, uh, for the ra- the rest of this season. Um, and then we'll do off-season episodes, potentially maybe some interviews with cast members. Uh, we'll, I am currently working on a couple people to get in here, so hopefully that'll happen. This is probably not going to happen next week. I have a wedding to go to, uh, so I can't be here. Maybe Britt will be able to handle it uh, on her own, maybe with beadball, maybe with a guest host. Who knows? Um, so I think that pretty much covers it. I think I've pimped the forum. I've pimped an email address and a lot of Twitter accounts. So, for Goody, for Bees, and for me, we're out. We are. Hells yeah.